Gitten Perik Hay, Mishnah Gimel 5.3, and another Mishnah regarding there is to Kuneha Olam, enactments made to make the world a better place for the general good. Um, there are two different topics here in our Mishnah. The first is as follows. There are going to be certain scenarios in which Medin Torah, according to the Torah law, a person could claim reimbursement from the Chasim Meshubadim, from encumbered properties, um, but in three specific scenarios, which the mission will list, since the purchaser of the unencumbered property could never calculate um, how much liability is taking on, because the three items listed in our mission are sort of like unknowable and perhaps even like you know unlimited in terms of how big they could be. Therefore, um, because of a tikkun olam, rabbinically they said that such reimbursements can't come from encumbered property, and the idea is that um, that would. If that wasn't in place, then people would hesitate to purchase properties in the first place, and that would sort of undermine general commercial activity because there's sort of this unlimited liability that could come from this unknown and unpredictable source. So really, that's that's the gist of our mission. Now, there are really two kinds of cases that we're considering. The first case is fairly involved. Um, and to explain it, you have to basically draw a picture, at least in your mind, um, that involves four different uh, characters. So the characters are um, the original landowner, We'll call him the victim. Then there's the purchase, person who got his land. We'll call him the thief, although he didn't necessarily have to be intending to be criminal, but the point is we'll call him the thief because he took possession of this land illegally. And then we'll have purchaser of the first parcel of land. Purchaser one, he is acquiring the land from the thief um, who had it illegally. And then we'll have purchaser number two. He purchases a different parcel of land from the thief, and that Second purchase happens after the first, so it's encumbered. It's nechasim meshubadim. That second purchase is with land that's encumbered to cover the loss that would be incurred from the first purchase of the land. Okay, so now, with those four people in mind, if you will, um, the idea is as follows. If what happens is the thief gets a hold of land from the victim and then sells it to the purchaser number one, and then the victim finds out and wants his land back, it has it goes back to him. So the purchaser, purchaser one, will, you know, cede the land back to the victim. Um, and then he would have recourse, the victim, purchaser number sorry, purchaser number one would have recourse uh, back to the seller, the thief, to get reimbursed. Okay? Now, assuming um, the, the thief who sold on the property has the means, so he'd have to be really reimbursed for three separate things. Because the purchaser of that property, and when he gives the field back to the the victim, so he's really giving three things. He's giving, first of all, the land itself, including an increased value it might have incurred. The second is he gives back the current produce, like let's say the fruit on the trees on that property. Uh, as well as any other output that came even in previous years. Since the the victim claims the property was his, all the output of that property, all the payrolls, whether the fruit, previous crops of wheat, or rent collected from the apartment building, whatever the story is, that also really belongs to the, the original owner, the victim, and therefore uh, purchase number one has to give that all back to him as well. So in addition to the land, you also have what we'll call it the output. And in addition, um, if there are improvements, so we'll call those expenses that purchaser one laid out. Say, for example, purchaser number one, 
you know, he bought fertilizer and fertilized the fields to make them better fields or whatever. He invested in, you know, some work to remove all the rocks or whatever the story is. So he also can get reimbursed, let's call it his expenses to keep it simple. So those three things could have claimed the land, the output, and the expenses all back from the thief. Now, what happens if the thief doesn't have the wherewithal to reimburse the purchaser? So we're assuming the case is one in which when the purchaser, number one, bought the land, he got a regular you know, deed, a contract, a star from the thief, the seller, um, who would essentially indemnify him for these kinds of problems and say, listen, you know, you're buying my land and I'm standing um, accountable if, if something goes wrong. That's standard. And that's what's happened here. Something's gone very wrong. He's, he, the thief, sold the purchaser, number one, stolen land. Okay, so now, if the thief doesn't have the wherewithal to pay back all three of those categories, number one, reimburse them for the purchase of the land itself, the original cost. Number two, the output that has to be reimbursed that could go back numerous years, effectively unlimited number of years. And number three, the improvements, the expenses that he laid out, the purchaser laid out to improve the land, which also could be essentially unlimited. If he doesn't have those, the wherewithal to make those payments back, so although Midoraisa, if he had another piece of land, parcel number two, and that land was sold to purchaser number two, that land is Nechassam Meshubadim, it's encumbered because the original sale of land number one was with a contract which said he stands behind you know, the sale, and therefore that encumbers parcel number two of land, which the purchaser number two purchased. Um, and therefore Midoraisa, purchaser number one, should be able to go to purchaser number two and say, your land stands as you know, surety, it's encumbered, it's lean to me to make me whole on all three of these elements. The purchase price I laid out originally for the land, as well as my expenses, as well as the output I had to reimburse to the, the, the victim. However, the rabbi said, when it comes to the first item, the reimbursement of the cost of the land, yes, that is certainly um, the basic idea of Nechassim Meshubadim, encumbered property, and therefore, purchase number one could have purchased number two and say, listen, you bought that land from the thief, but he's a thief, what can, you t- what can I tell you? But I purchased it first, I have first rights, and I'm, my lien precedes yours, and therefore, you have to reimburse me from, the co- from your land itself to make me whole. But the other two elements, the, the reimbursement of the output, the payros, the fruit, as well as the expenses for the improvements, those, the rabbi said, notwithstanding the fact that Midoraisa purchased number two, his property should be encumbered to make purchase number one whole for that also, he, he doesn't have to. Um, meaning, the only place that purchaser number one can go to make himself whole on the costs he incurred, the loss he incurred, for having to give the victim expenses and reimbursed output, is from the thief himself and his current Bnei Choron, his unencumbered property. And the idea is that if not for the case, since purchase number two could never estimate how he could know that there was a sale of a previous field to purchase number one, that there's a outside possibility his his purchase number two is encumbered to make to reimburse that in some terrible situation, but he can never estimate just how much the purchaser number one is going to invest in that land for expenses. That could be infinite expenses. And he has no idea how much output the land could be. The output could land could be producing pairs for ten years before the victim, you know, finally gets gets uh, reimbursed. So for those reasons the rabbi said because of Tikan Olam, the purchaser number one cannot claim from the Chasam Shubadim those expenses and reimbursement for the output. Um, to the ask only to the thief, and that's the, the end of the story. And that's the first two cases out of the three of this, like kind of half a sentence of the mission, essentially, um, which says, Ein nifraim min 
excuse me, I'm sorry, I read the wrong Mishnah, sorry. The Mishnah Gimel. You can't extract from purchase number two, purchase number one cannot extract from purchase number two um, reimbursement for the consumption of the output, the Peros, and also the expenses for the improvements of the land. Skip three words. Um, from encumbered properties, meaning purchase number one cannot go to purchase number two, because we wanted to make sure that purchase number two would not be totally, you know, blindsided, and you could, we want the world and commercial activities um, to work properly. With that kind of risk, people would just stop buying properties altogether. Now, the three words I skipped is for the third case of our Mishnah. Third case of Mishnah is unrelated. It's the same idea we're going to say um, when the purchaser, we'll call him purchase number two, for argument's sake, um, buys land, he could never estimate, you know, how much he's getting himself into, and therefore the rabbi said we're not going to make him obliged to it at all. So what's the case? The case is, even if our original setup is here, let's say that thief, the same guy, you know, who sold land to purchase number two, he, um, he had a ksuba um, with his wife, and the ksuba has tonight ksuba standard conditions that the ksuba include that the wife should be, in the event of the husband's death, the wife is supported from the estate, um, and until she gets her super payment, and she can opt not to take that super payment, so she can be supported for a long time off the estate, sort of indefinitely. Um, and also her daughters, or his daughters, the daughters, um, the daughters are also supported um, until they get married. So that also those two amounts, how much support is for the wife, which is indefinite, and the daughters until they get married off, um, bus mitzvah age, whatever it is. So those amounts are massive and could have sort of can't be estimated by the purchaser. So if we have this guy purchaser number two, let's call him the same guy, and he bought his land second after the ksuba, which is first. So although the land certainly does um, stay um, encumbered and is meshubad to the payment of the ksuba itself, the 200 zuz, if what the widow or the daughters are seeking is ongoing support, they can go to the heirs, the yorshim of the estate, I'll call their daughter, excuse me, their son, or stepson, their brother, or stepbrother, um, for support. But in the event that the, their father, or even the sons of that matter, sold this um, land, the purchaser is on the hook now to uh, to make these women whole, midurabanan, because the rabbis didn't want, and the people wouldn't purchase land. So that's the middle case there. I skipped here. The words, it says also, uksuvas isha, excuse me, I, I, I again read from the wrong place, uh, forgive me. Um, so it was, edmotzin Achilles peros, the Shavach Karkaos, those are the first two cases of the improvements and the um, the output of the land, or the Limzon Ha'isha Vahabanos, or the support, the ongoing support of the widow and the daughters, Minachasim Shubadim, that can come from encumbered properties, Bibnei Petikun Olam, because the rabbis didn't want to mess up this purchaser number two guy. Okay. Um, now, New case of the Mishnah, so to speak. No, not so. It's a new case. Another Tikkun Olam. Here we have a situation in which um, the rabbis again said, Midoraisa, you should be able to make a claim, but Midorabana, we're not letting you because um, we don't want the world to get messed up. And the cases um, got to do with something called the a case of Moda B'Miktas, a partial admission. So the rule is that Midoraisa, if I say you owe me 100 and you say, no, I just owe you 50, so then um, I can only get 50 out of you. And if I don't have any other evidence, the, 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 you know, better evidence than that. But I can force you, since you're admitting to a partial claim, I can force you to take a shvua to swear under oath in the courts, in the, in the bezdin, in the heavy-duty, heavy-duty kind of oath you wouldn't want to make normally, um, that you only owe me the 50, not the 100. 
Okay, and that's a din d'oraisa called modem niktsas, and a person only emits, he emits some, but not all of a claim. And the claim has to be a, what's called a, a bari claim, a, cer- a claim of certainty, right? I'm certain you owe me the money. Now, the case for Mishnah is one in which um, the Mr. B found Mr. A's, let's say, okay, something like this. Mr. A is on a, goes for a hike, he has a backpack, and attached to the backpack is a satchel. It's double knotted, the satchel and backpack, for no reason to ever get separated. He forgets his backpack at the top of the mountain, he goes to the bottom of the mountain, he says, oh shoot, I forgot my backpack. He looks up on the mountain and he sees Mr. B silhouette picking up the backpack. Now he actually doesn't see that the backpack, the satchel attached to it, but it's very safe to assume that the satchel should be attached to it because where is it going to go? Okay? Um, they're, they're double knotted and attached. So um, A now claims from B, says, listen, I know you, you, uh, sorry, so B comes and says, here, A, here's your backpack. So Mr. A says, thank you for the backpack. Where's the satchel that was attached to it? And Mr. B says, I don't know about any satchel. I just found the backpack. I'm giving it back to you. So so now the claim is Mr. A says, listen, the satchel was attached to the backpack. I'm certain if you found the backpack, you found the satchel, and I want my satchel back as well. And Mr. B says, I don't know what you're talking about. I know nothing about the satchel, just the backpack. So we have a mode of mixes case because Mr. A is saying, you have my backpack and satchel. And Mr. B is saying, no, I just have the backpack. know nothing about the satchel. So really now, Midoraisa, if Mr. A is claiming he knows for a fact that Mr. B must have it because he saw him pick up the backpack and he knows there's no reason he's like, you know, he didn't, doesn't actually know for certain, for certain, but he is, feels it's absolutely safe to assume like there's no, no reason in the world why he wouldn't have the satchel because they were attached. So there's nowhere it could have gone. Must, he must have it. So really, um, it seems in the case I described, according to most of him, he would be now Chayv Midoraisa because of a sort of safe assumption that he must have it to force that Mr. A could force Mr. B to make a motor mitzvah shvua swear that he doesn't have the satchel. Okay? But the rabbis said, listen, if that is in place, so then every time someone ever finds a backpack, they'll never pick it up and return it to the owner because they'll think, oh gosh, I'll find the backpack. They're going to make me swear about the supposed satchel attached to it as well. So therefore, for the sake of Tikkun Olam, we said, even in this scenario, and there, there are different sheets and I'm showing exactly what the scenario is precisely. I gave you one possibility. But in a scenario where mid Oraisa, the return, the person who lost his object could demand a motor mixva shvua, the rabbi said we're not making such shvuas so that people not hesitate to return found objects. Again, that's the mission says inside. Much more briefly, it says, Bahamotzi Metzia, one who finds a lost object, Lo Yishava, he has no requirement to swear. Tikkun Olam, for as the rabbis enacted, for the sake of Tikkun Olam's people shouldn't hesitate to return lost objects.